0: Um, so it's been a while since I've been up here, so if I'm a little nervous or things go a little sideways, forgive me, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm also trying to do something a little bit different today, uh, at the request of our lead pastor, so we'll see how this all goes. So I will say to you, good morning. I am happy that you are here. We are happy that you guys are here. I am overjoyed that you guys are here sharing uh, being prepared to share God's word. It is a beautiful Sunday out there. It is an amazing Sunday. I know that it's going to get hot, but that's okay. That's why we live in Arizona. It's beautiful, and I'm excited. <sighs> not just a little nervous, but excited about being here this morning. And the reason, one of the reasons why is not just because sharing God's word, but also it's, it's almost to the day seven years ago that my life radically changed. Okay? I mean, almost to the day that my life radically changed at Maricopa Springs Family Church. Now, I turned 180 degrees, gave everything, and my full attention and focus went towards Christ at that point. Um, It was in this church. Seven years ago, we were meeting in global water, probably like 40 of us. Doug's over there smiling. He's like, man, those were the days. (laughs) Right? Yeah. If I go long today, it's because Doug keeps over there smiling. Anyways, it, it, was, it, was, it was cool and it was amazing. And I believe actually, and Grady can check me on this, I think that's actually when we started in Luke. So almost positive is when we started in Luke on that. Started Luke, yes, I'm pretty sure. But <laughs> the last couple of weeks I've been reflecting back over this time. And, and it wasn't something that consciously came, it just kind of came out. And I started looking back on this past seven years, and sometimes we get these blinders on, and we just sit there and we focus on the here and now and everything that's just right in front of us. And I started looking back on the seven years, and I'm like, man, God's moved. And I've seen God do amazing things in the people of this church, through the people of this church, in this church, and through this church. And I, it's just been a blessing. I'm blessed. Coming up here is an honor and I'm humbled by it, but I am blessed by it to be able to come up here and do this. To be perfectly honest with you. I hope that you're blessed. I hope that you're edified and blessed by this message today. The one that you heard last week. The one that you heard Trevor give two weeks ago. And any of the other ones. My brother Doug was up here not too long ago. I hope that you were blessed and edified by that message as well. Now, Trevor started this off in Luke 21, and he started his message off by giving this five-point explanation about theology, like what it is and why it's important. And I have to be honest with you, maybe some of you can relate with me that it's a trigger word for me. You start thinking theology, and I start thinking intellectualism, like you're going towards the brain stuff, and I want to just move closer to God, and I kind of took issue with that. But it laid on my heart. It was pressing on my heart. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to have to say something about this. And then Grady gets up here last week and he says something. And then it presses even further into my heart. My intention is not to dig a hole deeper, simply to just dig some hole deeper. My, my intention here now to mention it is to deepen our understanding of theology, the level of importance of theology that just, it just knows no bounds here. All of God's word is is theology everything that we look at everything that we're looking at today we mentioned this beautiful amazing sunday morning that's theology and everything that god's offers us in this bible is is theology i mean to put it quite simply in the layman's version in my terms it is simply (laughs) doug's raising his hands mine too (laughs) it's the study of god the study of all things because god created all things okay it is the process in which we grow closer to God. And we've been given so much. Like I said, the beautiful day and scripture, the word of God. We've been given that. All God's word, all sorry, all God's words give us the opportunity to know Him and grow him, grow closer to Him. Especially when we share it with one another. Even if we have opposite views, because that's gonna happen sometimes. We're in Luke 21, we've been in Luke 21 the last two weeks. We've got another today, and then we got next week. I'm sure that there's been some different views. Some people, and if not now, maybe somewhere down the, the road. And that's fine. But how do we come together and share that, I think, what's important. Now, with any sort of luck, there should be a passage that's popping up on the screen behind me. Not 100% sure. If not, that's fine. I want to share a relevant passage with you. It's Colossians 3. And it's verse 12 is where I'm going to start. If it is up there, it's great. You can take a look at it. Put, up, put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all this, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thank- thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whether you do whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now if we use theology... If we define it and apply it correctly, along with what God, how God tells us to, to be with one another, two things are going to happen. Actually, I think more than two things are going to happen, because God's going to move big, so two things, but I'm just going to pull out these two things. First, God's truth is going to rise to the surface. His view will be the one that we see. It won't be mine, and it won't be yours. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. It will be God's that rise to the surface, and that's the one that's important. And the other thing is, is that we will grow closer to God. We will grow closer to one another. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Theology is not intellect. It's not intellectualism. But you don't have to take my word for it. I kind of just went off on this whole thing. Do not take my word for it. Dig into chapter 21, into Luke 21. Dig into it and take it to all these places it's going to take you. Believe me, I've done this study. It's going to take you to some crazy places. It's going to be awesome. Dig into it. And at the end of this study, that's probably going to take you some time, I want you to ask yourself, did your intellect grow or did you grow closer to God? Did you grow closer to God or did you grow closer to a seminary degree? Ask yourself when you're done. Now, we're in Luke 21, and all scripture is good, but that's where we find ourselves here today and again next week. And it draws us closer to him. And the understanding. Or helps us understand the depths of his love for us. And this awesome strength of his promises. Now two things I pray that you will leave with on your heart today. A better understanding or a, a better grasp. Or just a knowledge of the depth of God's love for you. And the awesome powerful amazing strength of his promises that he hands for us he has for us so before i move in and read the passage that's ahead of us now which is luke 21 25 through 33 that we're in let me take a moment in prayer father thank you we we just thank you so much we praise we seek to glorify you we ask that simply your word is lifted up that your view and your focus is is what we see here today. That everything else is minimized and you are heightened, Father. We seek to glorify you in, the, in our time in your word. That we, we grow closer to you, that we understand the depth of your love and the strength of your, your, your promise for us. We love you, and it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Let me read Luke 25 through 33. Oops, where'd we go? And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree I think over the last two weeks, through Trevor and Grady, we understand that Jesus is prophesying here. He is looking into the future. Okay, we see that. And we see that he is looking into 70 A.D. Okay, we look into the future. Um, I uh, would like to share a couple of different views that are just out there really quick. Um, One of the different views that we can see is that this passage is, and all of Luke 21 is just really pointed at 70 AD that there is no other prophecy that's in here it's just 70 AD there's some other things that come into play as well some eschatology sorry that's one of those ology words I apologize if it's a trigger word but post-millennialism pre-millennialism all millennialism comes into play now I'm not going to get into all of that I'm not going to look through that view I am going to share with you what I have been convicted of what I am convinced of through my study it's not This prophecy is Jesus sharing with his disciples. It's not just 70 A.D., but it's also a future day, his return, the second coming. Okay, we see that as well. It's not the day that he comes back to to, uh, to defeat sin. That work is already done. But the day that he returns to judge the unrighteous and the day that he returns to bring his people home. So we see 70 A.D., and then we look past, and then we see a future day. I think when Trevor was up here, he was talking about this illustration with the camera. Maybe you can remember that. Now, as we go forward, there's a tricky verse in here a little bit that has raised up some stuff, and I want to address it now. It's later on in what we're looking at, but I want to look at it now so I can avoid the speed bump down the road. It's really that simple, okay? It's verse 32. I'm going to read it for you. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Okay? There's a couple of things that is happening that are happening in Luke 21. Okay? Mirrored image, a double fulfillment, and then the already and not yet. What I'm going to share with you on this generation is part of that mirrored image. Okay? We're looking at two things, 70 A.D., and we're looking at a future date. This generation applies to 70 A.D. This generation that sees the start of the signs, and the destruction, the end of Jerusalem, this generation. And then we forward that mirrored image up to the coming of Christ, this generation that sees the start and the completion of Christ coming back. It's not multi-generational. It's not going to last forever. Somebody's not going to be saying, well, my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa saw something, and we know it's coming. It is one generation. That's how I see that. That's how through my study I've seen it. Now, as I said, we see other mirrored imaging that's happening here. When we look at verse 10 that we studied on last week, but I'm going to share it with you again. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be a great earthquake and in various places, places famines and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Now, if we move towards... Verse 25, and there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And there will be on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and foreboding over what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. You see this mirrored image happening. We see descriptive language in 70 AD and then that's mirrored in the second coming as well. We also see a double fulfillment. I mentioned that earlier. Grady talked about that last week when he was bringing in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is prophesying a double fulfillment. He prophesizes about the fall of Jerusalem before the exile in 500, and then the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It's a double fulfillment. So, it doesn't mean that one has to happen and then the other one. These are going to happen. Both happen. He's prophesying both are going to happen. And when we look at what's happening in Luke 21, destruction of Jerusalem, and I am coming back. This is going to happen. It's not one or the other. It is both. And then the one that I, I love, the already and the not yet. The best way to explain this is hopefully on the screen. You see uh, the passage that's coming up. It's Ephesians 1 and verses 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You see, sealed with a promise. Grady last week shared with us this whole purpose of the destruction of the temple, absolutely destroyed, is because the promise was fulfilled. I mean, the work was done. He had already come, and he had already done it. The building wasn't even needed anymore because God didn't live there anymore. He lived in our hearts. He moved in. And we see that again when we're looking at Ezekiel. Ezekiel 11. I don't think this one's popping up, but I'm going to just paraphrase it for you. It's Ezekiel 11:19. 19. I will remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. This is the already. It has been sealed. It has been delivered. It's done. It's already there. We have a new heart. We are a new creation. It is the already. And it's amazing. And we live in that time frame right now. But it's not really done. We can't sit there and in that mode think that we're done. When we read what Paul says in Ephesians and other parts of the scripture, we have part of something, right? The inheritance. Until, there's an until there. There's something yet to come. Now, what I would like to do at this point is to take what we have, verses 25 through 33, and I'm going to break them up in two parts. The warning and the promise in verses 25 through 28. And then I want to take the timing and warning for preparation and promise in 29 and 33. So share both of those with you. Let me read 25 Through twenty-eight again for you one more time. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity, because the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding over what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now then, now when they when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Verse 26 is where I want to take you first. We've got a couple of verses here, but I want to look at verse 26 because it sits here and says in verse 26, if I can find it in my book. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. And we look at this passage and we sit there and we think, well, of course they're fainting and there in fear and they're scared because look what's happening. We have all of this destructive stuff that's getting ready to happen. We have waters that are rising and the stars are falling and the earth is shaking. I mean, this is terrifying stuff. But that's not what they're in fear of. That's not what he's looking at here. That's not what the passage is saying. They're in fear of something else. They're in fear of what's coming. It's not these things that he's talking about. These are merely signs. If we look back at the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 A.D., because this is really important, all of those things that we're talking about in 10 and verses 10, and then we look at Matthew and Mark, share the same descriptive imagery. These are merely signs of what's to come. It's like a, a, a warning sign. It's a warning. I remember last year when we took the youth up to camp, As we were leaving camp, there was this massive fire. That's why we had to leave camp. And they had these signs all over the place. Be careful, there's a fire. It was similar to that. So they're not afraid of the rising water. And also, when you're looking at what he's saying here, people fainting with fear and foreboding. People fainting with fear? It's not the 1950s movie version of fear, fainting with fear. It's not her seeing something kind of scary or him and going, Oh, And fainting with fear. This is deep, terrifying fear to the point of death. And it is a fear of what is coming on the world. Okay, We move to verse 27. And it sits there and says, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. so they're afraid they're in fear of verse 27 this son of man coming with power and great glory and the first question i ask when i read that i'm thinking you guys are asking the same question well why i mean i'm sitting here as a christian i'm going i'm not going to be there i'm going to be raising my head this is going to be awesome let me take you to this next passage it's second peter it's in chapter three it starts in verse seven for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of this, the, word, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly, of the ungodly. These are difficult, really difficult things to hear. These are difficult things to talk about. Especially in light, even in light of the passage that comes next. Even when we're looking at the passage that comes next. But I want you to think about something. Go back to Jerusalem. There are signs that are coming out there. And when we look at what happened in Jerusalem, Grady mentioned Josephus, the history of Josephus. There were warning signs. The people who stayed did not believe. They were destroyed, they suffered, and they died. But the people who did believe, they left, and they were saved. I mean, that in itself is amazing. And what comes next is absolutely amazing. Verse 28 Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your head because your redemption is near. This is the promise. Raise your heads. For your redemption is near. The full promise at this point is what he's prophesying about. He's showing this in the future. We're, we were sealed with the promise. So stand and raise your head because you're secure in that. When you see these things, know that I am near and that I am returning. And you would raise your head. You would straighten up. That's absolutely amazing. Amazing. Here's another verse that hopefully is popping up on the screen. These are actually popping up on the screen, right? Because otherwise I'm feeling really good. Okay, thanks. I just kind of thought about that. Sorry, sidetrack. Re- <laughs> Give me a minute. Revelation 1, it's verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. We say Amen. Amen. Why? Because there is not one of his that is not eagerly waiting for him. We are in a wait mode eagerly. If you, any of you runners out there, you're in that those chalk blocks where you're just, I mean, the tension right there. You are just waiting to explode. There's another passage that's coming up on the screen for you. And it's Hebrews 9 and verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Eagerly waiting for him. He is coming back, and we are eagerly waiting that because of the promise that we were sealed with. We were given a new heart, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Remember? Sealed with the Holy Spirit, and now... We eagerly wait. Paul in Romans says, We are all, we and all of creation, eagerly groan. We inwardly groan, awaiting redemption. Verse 28. Because our redemption is drawing near, and we eagerly wait. I want to read verses 25 through 28 again for you. And there's a reason for that. When I'm done, there's going to be another passage that shows up on the screen for you after I'm done reading this. And I'd like you to try and kind of compare the two, the one in your Bible and then the one that's up on the screen. And I want you to see how closely they are linked together. So let me share this with you. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves. People fainting with fear and foreboding over what is coming on the world. For the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Now you see that it's coming up. It's Revelation 6. It starts in verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals themselves, the rich, and, or the... Uh, Generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand? I'm going to go back to verse 28 again for you, and I'm going to read it again for you and hear it. Straighten up and raise your head because your redemption is here. Near, sorry. Who can stand? You can, Christian. You can, believer. The one who believes in the hope and the promise that you were given. That's who's going to stand. You're going to stand. Jesus says, raise your head while the unrighteous hide theirs. You will stand because he has sealed in you a promise. And he is a God that keeps his promises. He does not fail. The power to stand does not come from you or me or anybody else. The power to lift your head does not come from you or me. It comes from him. He does not fail. We will stand. We will lift our heads because the power comes from him. It is through him That we stand, it is through him that we lift our heads. And as we look and as we transition from verse 28 and we're moving into verse 29, a different section, as I said, we can look back. And I don't mean look back on Luke 21, I mean look back all the way to the beginning. All the way to the beginning, to the beginning. In the beginning, he was there. He was there through all of the times that we failed. And when I say we, you know who I mean, right? He was there. He was there in the fiery furnace with us. He was there. He was the one on the cross. He was the one in the grave that defeated and conquered death for us. He is there at the right hand of God interceding for us. Another passage coming up on your screen. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. For the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Amen. Why do we say amen? All the promises are fulfilled in him. We have the already, we have the new heart. We see that all the way through. He is prophesying, He is sharing with us right now the not yet. And it is amazing and it is glorious. But there are questions. When? (laughs) But most importantly, what are the implications? And as we move into verse 29, Jesus gives us some insight into that. Let me read this for you as well. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself... And know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you that this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So he uses this 29 and 30. He's talking about this seasonal transition. You guys are going to have to bear with me. I know you live in Arizona. You have no idea what a season is. No clue. We have just sun season, that's it. I think that's, let's define it, sun season, that's our it. Amber and I, we moved here from Colorado, Whoo! lots of seasons, not a big fan, and they actually have multiple seasons within a season, it's crazy. But I was born and raised in Southern California, a little bit more normal of a season, okay? And I want to share with you, kind of give you an illustration of what this is kind of talking about. We should know that something is near, and we know it because we just know it. We don't know it because we're looking at a calendar. I mean, 500 years ago, they didn't have, well, maybe they had calendars. I'm sure they had calendars. But they weren't, you know, there's not some five-year-old kid looking at a calendar going, awesome, summer's coming. That's not happening. When I was a kid, I didn't look at a calendar. It didn't matter to me. No, man, I loved, it. by the way, summer was my favorite season. And no, it's not because school didn't, wasn't in. I actually attended summer school quite often. So bad but I enjoyed summer. And the reason why I enjoyed summer is because I grew up in the water. I grew up surfing. I love summer surfing, way better than winter surfing. I played baseball. We had spring ball. Um, Barbecue, right? Um, Yeah, I mean, you just, you feel this stuff. And so months ahead of time, before you even think that summer's coming, you sit there and you touch a baseball field or you walk close to a baseball field and you can smell cut grass. And you see a couple guys throwing a ball. And you can feel it. That's nothing anybody's saying. You can just kind of feel it. When you step out onto the sand as you're heading towards the water, it feels a little bit warmer, the sand. The sky just seems a little bit brighter. The winter haze is kind of gone. And you're feeling it. You're walking to your buddy's house. And you're walking, and all of a sudden you smell something. You're like, is that charcoal? I smell some charcoal. Is that barbecued chicken? And then you get to your buddy's house and you walk in the house and you're kind of, what's that smell? And you turn the corner into the kitchen and there's his mom. She's cutting up watermelon. And now you're getting goosebumps. (laughs) Now you're ready for summer. Right? The whole point of this is that there's a preparation. It's not that you just don't, you know that there's a preparation. So for me, when I knew these things were coming, it's time to get rid of the winter wetsuit, it's time to get rid of the shoes. All right? I prepare. And that's what he's saying here. There's a preparation time in here. That's what, this is, that's what this points to for us. It's a preparation time. Examine your heart. Look at where you're at. And I don't mean examine your heart in the condition of somebody or in, in relation to someone else. Do not stand in front of a mirror next to somebody else and go, yes, I'm in very good shape. That's not the idea. Don't look at the facade that you may have created for yourself and think that you're good. Your comparison is right here. This is what you're going to go off of. This is what we look at. This is what we dig into. And this is why we know that we're preparing. We're looking at this, and he's telling me to do this, and how I live and how my heart works and how how I'm supposed to grow closer to him, and and that's how I'm preparing for it. And that's the direction that I move. And I have to prepare. Now, when we get to verse 31, we see this this statement where he sits there and he says, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. It's near. Its completion is near. The kingdom of God is near. The full kingdom of God is near. And that's amazing. I want you guys to think back earlier in the Gospels. You would probably remember hearing or reading in uh, Matthew 3. John the Baptist comes out and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And then a chapter ahead in Matthew 4. As Jesus leaves, he, he walks out of the wilderness after being tempted by Satan. And what does he say? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. As I said, that's the already. And now this moves into something totally different. It is the full kingdom. When we see these things happening, we know that this full promise is near. The full inheritance, the full kingdom is here. And what are those implications? In light of that knowledge, how do we live? What does it look like as a Christian? Because we have the already, and then there's something else to come, and we're in this in-between part. So how do we, how do we live in that? Now, if I left here today, or let's say I did it sometime during the week, and I went out randomly and just surveyed 1,000 people with two questions. I got two questions. I'm going to take 1,000 people. And there was a study that I read, so I'm just going to give you some rough numbers. So let's not hold me accountable to every single little digit here, okay? 1,000 people. And I asked them, do you believe that the Son of Man is coming back? I think I'd get about 60 to 70% of yes. Okay? Now... I'm going to ask the second question. Out of the 60 and 70 percent, do you believe it's happening in your lifetime? I think that percentage is going to drop dramatically. It's going to be a third, maybe less. And I ask myself, well, why is that? I'm not entirely sure, to be honest with you. I have to be honest with you. I'm saying this, and I'm not entirely sure. The only thing I could come up with is maybe we're not ready. Maybe I'd rather think that it's not going to happen in my lifetime, and that way I don't have to worry about it. And I don't have to do all of these things. So what is it that we're looking at that we're working on that we're not getting prepared for the kingdom coming? What is it that we're, we're, we're not doing? What are these things that we're working on in life um, that seem to be so much more important than that? Let me share this other passage with you. It's Matthew 6. It's 31 33. This is really when I was doing my study on this and I looked at this, I was just fascinated by this passage. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? or What shall we drink? or What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, or think, yeah, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Does anybody seek half of something? This isn't a passage that's talking about half of something. It's talking about the complete kingdom of God. That's what we're seeking for. We've been sealed with a promise and we're seeking the whole kingdom of God. And it sits there and says, do not be anxious. Another word for this is focused on something else. Focused on things of the world. Do not be anxious about things like food... Or or clothing or where you're going to live. And we can expand that into all of the stuff that we know that we have. He's talking about this full kingdom that comes in and seek first that promise, that full inheritance, that full kingdom. And if we're anxious about these other things, these otherworldly things like our house and our car, our jobs, our schools, and I mean, these are constantly on our mind. I mean, let's how do we live let me, let me kind of backtrack for a second. I apologize for this. But how do we live in light of this again? Let me ask that question. How did we live this morning and yesterday and the week and the year? Not the calendar year, the whole 12 months, this past 12 months. Did we focus on getting our house or... or this new job or, or school and all of these other things. Was that the majority of our focus, or was the majority of our anxiety and focus towards the kingdom? That's a tough question, I think, for any of us to be able to answer. Because this is sometimes tough to kind of manage. I mean, I spend 40 hours of my week in in work, man, in a bank that's all about money. It's difficult. Give another example here. Sorry, I'm kind of dragging out a little bit, but think about this for a minute. I don't know if it was all internet or what happened, but earlier in the week, the internet went down. Maybe it went down for you, maybe it didn't. Maybe it was just Orbitel, maybe it was everyone. But some of the people that I came in contact, man, they freaked out. They were like, My internet's down. Oh my God. I can't do this, I can't do that. I got to be honest with you. I was in the middle of a study, I was a little annoyed. I needed to pull up this website, and I couldn't. And I was like, on it. I can't do it now. What am I supposed to do? I did the only thing I could do. I took this, which, funny enough, doesn't require internet, in case you were wondering. doesn't require internet. Also, also let me just check with you. It also doesn't need to be plugged in or recharged. Some of my students will know that I attest to that. I tell them, hey, look, this won't die on you. It will still be there. So I took this and I just tried to dig in and just read and, and meditate on it. You know, when the internet came back on, I think later that evening, whenever it was, I went in there and I looked at the thing and I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And I kind of moved on. I'm not saying these things don't matter. They matter. Our house matters, our jobs matter, our schools matter, all of these things matter. Our families matter. In fact, in scripture, it tells us that we need to be good stewards of these things. God's given me a house and he's given me a job and funds and things like that. And I have to be a good steward of those. Because if I'm not, then I'm not being a good Christian. I'm not living the life he's asking me to do. So these things are important. What I'm saying is, is where is our anxiety? Where is our focus? We cannot be anxious about all the worldly things Monday through Saturday constantly. And then show up on a Sunday and give our time to God and go, I'm good. Are we prepared for what's coming? Do you believe? Do you believe that it could happen in your lifetime? I'm going to steal this. ooh, wrong word. I'm going to borrow this illustration from a brother of mine, Rick. He uses it quite often. That's why i got to borrow it. I think he's got it. uh, What do you call it? Like copywritten or or, or whatever that's? I think you call it copywritten. So I'm like... (laughs) If I'm up here tinkering as I'm talking, which I can't walk and chew gum at the same time, but if I were up here tinkering with something and it had some wires and some canisters and things like that, had a digital readout that said 100, and I walked over here and I placed it in the middle, and I told you that that was a bomb and it was going to level this entire place, the entire place, and you had a minute, and I made a beeline for that door. If you just sat there, Does that really show that you believe? I realize that this may be a kind of a silly illustration, but it really goes to the point. Do you really believe? Are you sitting there or are you running? Are we running really fast after the man that radically changed our lives, radically changed our heart? His his word warns us of a wide path that many will be on. When we look at verse 26, right? These people, people fainting with fear and foreboding. of What is coming? They're on that wide path that leads to destruction. He tells us about a narrow path that leads to salvation. And we see that in verse 28. Redemption is drawing near. He warns us that he will not know some. But there will be people who will come and say, hey, didn't I do all of this stuff? Didn't you see this great things that I did? And he will say, I don't know you. What does your walk look like? Is it a facade or does it overflow with the fruit of the Spirit? Are we focused? There's anxiety towards that kingdom. His word promises us that we are a new creation. In him, we are brothers and sons and heirs of the same Father. He said that Jerusalem, not just Jerusalem, the entire temple would be annihilated, not a stone left unturned. He said that he was coming back to defeat sin. Not to defeat sin, but for us, to bring the righteous home. I mean, this is a promise. The strength of this promise is undeniable. I'm going to share this other passage with you. It's 2 Peter 3. It starts in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is this one day. The Lord is not slow to move, Are slow to fulfill his promises, as some would count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to live be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, which is where we dwell because we are his people. We are waiting for that redemption. Because our redemption is near. This is his promise. This is his word. And in verse 33 when we get to the end. The strength of this word. He says my words will not pass away. Just in 2 Peter. Everything else will go. But my word will not. It will not pass away. Another passage for you. Hebrews 13. Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today and forever. His word will not pass away the things that we want to turn our anxiety towards are gone i mean i gotta be honest at this point they're already gone let's turn our anxiety and our attention towards that kingdom he said that he would replace our stone heart with one of flesh he said that he will be coming back we see the depth of his love in the distance that he traveled to reach us we couldn't reach him he came to us. He is a God that keeps his promises. How do we as a people, as a church, live in light of that? We see the strength of his promise in his unfailing love over and over and time and time again. I'm going to share one last passage with you, but it won't come up on that screen. It was something that laid on my heart yesterday as I was finishing preparation I'll share it with you. You can write it down. It's 2 Corinthians. It's chapter 4. It's verses 16 through 18. This is the last thing I'd like to share with you before I go. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. His word will not pass away. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you so much. We thank you for your, so much for your word. We thank you for your son that has come and done so much for us. We live in the valley of your promise. We are held in the strength of your promise and in the power of your love. We thank you for that. There is nothing that can remove us for us. Father, I pray for those hearts who live on that wide path, that they will come to know you, that they will know the strength of your love and the strength of your your, your promise. That is unfailing, Father, that there is nothing that can get in the way. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this amazing day. Thank you for your word. Let us move through our day and our week and our month and this following year to come that it focus on you, that our anxiety is towards you and not the world. In this we pray, amen.